that we best carry out all of the purposes of the church as brotherhood. Carrying the gospel to the world and, and the good that we are called to do in the world. That as brothers and sisters in Christ, I, I believe we're more effective together than we are by ourselves. And this morning, I, I want, I'm planning to look more at the blessings that we experience within the church. But I would just like to mention here a couple examples of the brotherhood serving and carrying the gospel. The first one that I have, we find in Acts. And I, two weeks ago, both of these examples I'm going to give, two weeks ago I shared them in uh, another message I preached. But we have in Acts 8, we have Philip who kind of struck out on his own. He went down to Samaria. And I don't know that he really took anyone with him, but he preached the gospel, and the gospel was received with joy. And then Peter and John went to assist in that work. So there we have brothers working together to, to um, carry the gospel and also to encourage in the work that's happening. The next example would be in Acts 13, where we have the prophets and the teachers who um, gathered together and uh, believe it says they were fasting and, and maybe praying there. And out of that, they together sent Barnabas and Saul. So we have the brotherhood sending and also sending as brothers. And so I, I don't want to um, minimize at all this morning the importance of, of the brotherhood in carrying out the Great Commission. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't go alone, that you can't share the gospel alone. But I think as we, as we look at our congregation and as we consider our call to the world, um, that that's something that, that we should be considering about how we can, as a brotherhood, also carry the message of the gospel. And I, I believe that that is a desire. Jesus in Mark chapter 3 and verse 34, there was a multitude around him and um, they said unto him, in Mark 3.32, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked around about on them, which sat about him, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. And just going back to who is our brother? Who is our sister? You know, we have close relationships with our biological brothers and sisters. But Jesus says, whoever does the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister, and mother. And that we can say for ourselves today too, that whoever 
is the child of God and serving God. Together, we are brothers and sisters. And sometimes, I would say especially where there is, becomes differing um, experiences, differing choices uh, within the biological family, we begin to find maybe even more of a closeness. Um, it's, it's in a different way, but a closeness with those of our own congregation as we come like-minded together. And, and I think some of that is why when we come back from having been away and we come together again, we experience that closeness because we, we think, we endeavor to practice the same As Jesus, in his years of ministry, walked with his disciples, he walked with them as brothers. I don't know how that would have been to, to be one of those 12 who Jesus was just in a very physical way a part of their life. They were close. Jesus could probably tell them things that um, others couldn't. And I don't know, you know, brothers and sisters get upset at each other sometimes. Did they maybe get upset at Jesus sometimes and at each other sometimes? But he walked as brethren with the twelve. And he treated them, those who are around him, going beyond uh, with compassion as his own in healing, forgiveness, patience, Serving, he was, was treating the world around him, or, or the, the seekers, maybe I could say, as his own. Jesus exemplified brotherhood. In Genesis 4-9, we have the account of Cain and Abel. Cain had, had killed his brother Abel, and God came to him, and he said, where is Abel? Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? And I would like to say that as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we turn, we use that same phrase, but that we turn a few words around and we say, I am my brother's keeper. That we are here for each other. That we are here to move each other closer to Christ. I'm going to turn, I know I mentioned going to Acts for many examples, but I would like to look at Ephesians chapter 2 for a few minutes before we continue on to Acts. Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to begin reading at verse 13, reading through the end of the chapter. And I'm not sure, can't even tell you if it uses the word uh, brother here. Uh, besides the point, it, it does um, speak of what we're talking about this morning. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, 
for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Uh, my mind um, settled somewhat a bit on, on verse 19 there. He says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners. Strangers and foreigners don't fully belong. If I uh, go down to, to Mexico, I, I don't have citizenship there. I don't have privileges of a citizen. And, and I'm, I'm not, I don't belong. Um, it's okay to go and be a visitor, but, but there is a little difference. Strangers and foreigners. So we are no more, as God's children, strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. So here we are in the United States and in Pennsylvania, and we have the privileges, same privileges of citizens. We belong here. Um, we, we, we fit here, I guess you would say. So now we are belonging, and he doesn't stop there. He says, of the household of God. It, it just keeps bringing it closer. We're not just simply fellow citizens who enjoy the privileges of citizens, but we dwell together as the household of God. My family and I, we dwell together, and it's closer than, our relationship is closer than what we experience with um, just anyone else, all the other citizens of, say, even the county we live in. Um, that brotherhood relationship comes closer. How can this be? How can a relationship like this among God's people be possible? Verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And I didn't really study into uh, the first part of the chapter much, but um, it, it talks about uh, being dead. Um, I, should, I should look here a little closer, but um, not being God's children, being apart from him. And the state that, that we experience before experiencing the blood of Jesus Christ in our lives. And that's what makes it possible this morning. It's, you know, I think, I think I can say that there can be good relationships out in the world, but where they become really strong and rich and committed is when Christ 
has become a part of our lives. I'm going to draw your attention now to Acts. We'll start out in Acts chapter 2. And I would like to look at eight gifts of brotherhood. This morning, I just, going on through the message here, I don't uh, feel like it's um, a message that's really digging down deep, but rather just looking at, at some of the things that we know. Uh, sometimes we forget about what we have. We take it for granted. But this morning, I just trust that we can, can look at the word and, and look at blessings that we have together as God's children and maybe to, to encourage us in our, in our closeness with each other to, to, um, to just continue to be here for each other. In Acts chapter 2, uh, I would like to think a little bit here about sharing and also uh, working together. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 47. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Okay, we have the people here selling possessions and distributing as there was need. Um, I, I, yes, parting out different things as there were needs. It says they had all things common. And then when we go to chapter 4, uh, verses 32 to 37, it kind of um, brings in the same picture the same story again it says and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul and I'm just going to jump out of uh, what I'm talking about here for a minute um, just hang on to that phrase heart one heart and one soul we'll come back to that later on another point neither it says neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own but they had all things common and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joses, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet.
so here again, they sold land. They sold possessions and, and gave according to the needs that were among them. And we uh, could go on to chapter 5 here, which isn't really uh, bringing out the point of my message. We have the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira. And um, we can see how there was, there was some carnality um, also there in, in their wanting to appear as the others. The thought was given that this, um, I think maybe it was Adam Clark, I, I forget, but that this was not actually communal living as we think of communal living like the Hutterites where it's just one big, all I can think is happy family, but, uh, but where it was more maybe a situation where if someone had extra, uh, maybe they had an extra piece of land or, or something that they may have sold it uh, to, to help with the needs, sold out of their excesses. I don't know for sure exactly how that was, uh, but I think there, there was a spirit of wanting to be there for each other, wanting to share. And I, I think that spirit of sharing also goes along with, with wanting to help each other um, maybe in uh, beyond the material, just in ways that we can can help. Um, and I just have to think of how um, you know work projects that may happen um, when someone has a need. Um, sometimes individually or maybe together, collectively, we may see a need around us and go to help with that need. Um, yeah, helping financially, physically. One thing that I find, and I, I think it's probably uh, fairly common, that it's fun to work together with, with people. And when we're helping others, we know that we're being a help to someone in whatever way. Uh, you, you get a group of people together, and it's, it's enjoyable. You... Um, you have a good day doing it, and, and you get a lot of people together. You can get a lot of work done, and you can kind of look back on the work that was done, and wow, that was a lot in a short amount of time, and, and just um, there, there's a good feeling with that when you know you've, you've blessed someone. We are anticipating uh, working together physically to... Um, tear apart and put back together a, a church house and sometimes we we may get tired of waiting a little bit till we can actually get at it um, one thing I will acknowledge it's a big project and I think we will get a little bit tired we'll be glad to see that project finished but I do believe too that when that project comes to completion that we're going to have a sense of of satisfaction not that we've built something great for ourselves, but we have pulled together for the work of the Lord in preparing a building. And we, we are looking forward to that. I would also say that I have tended to have a feeling, and probably some more of you could help me with this thought here a little bit, but that in some of the conservative and old order um, groups, 
that there's a, a good, excellent example of banding together. Um, I would have probably noticed that some, um, actually maybe significantly among the, the Amish in Ohio where uh, maybe someone's house burned down and it was just in short order. Uh, there was a house for those people to move into, built and, and ready to go. Um, and I, I um, sense that that is, is present among um, some of the more conservative groups. And I, I trust that that's something that we will continue to do as brothers and sisters in Christ. The second gift that I have of um, gift of the brotherhood, um, I have drawn your attention there to that phrase, of one heart and of one soul. I'm just going to break that into one word, the word unity. There was a group there of Christians that was unified. Unity can include agreeing on issues. But unity also includes coming to agreements on differences with love for each other. It's easy to agree on some things. Um, just trying to break this down into something simple here. Um, sometimes men have strong opinions, maybe not so much as we get older, but on, on what kind of vehicles are better to buy. Um, and, you know, if I, if I think that a Ford truck is the best, and I don't, I'm not going to pick on any names here, but someone else thinks a Ford truck is the best to buy, well, that's, it may look a little bit like unity. <laughs> we agree on that. But let's, I'm just going to use Milmont as an example. Milmont has two church buses. And let's just say, for example, that there were a couple men um, that are to go buy a bus. And the one man thinks there's no way you should buy anything other than a Dodge. And the other man thinks there's no way you should buy anything other than a Ford or a Chevy or whatever. Um, they're, they're not agreeing on what they see. But when they can come to an agreement and, and together... To and these are what kind of vehicle you buy is pretty immaterial, uh, but when they can agree on that and and both move on happily, having love for each other and um, you know not using the sharp words, there is a unity that can come out of differences, and and that's a blessing that we can experience as brothers when we're committed to one another. The experiences of unworkableness and lack of unity, it, it brings unrest, it brings mistrust, and the help of the group suffers. Rather, unity nurtures good relationships. Unity, I think, is probably one of the strongest points, is a very strong point in a healthy church. 
The third gift of brotherhood that I have this morning is compassion, caring for those in need. And we could look at different passages here. Um, let's go to Acts chapter 6. Good example here. Acts 6, 1 through 4. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. And the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So the, the twelve were, were called to go out and to, um, to minister the word to the people. And it's not that they didn't have a compassion for the widows, but rather they were busy with what they were called to do. So they pulled a plan together and they, they showed their compassion. They said, wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So there we have an example of the apostles, even though they may not have had time to, to serve these needs, they um, came up with a plan for, for showing compassion um, to, to the widows, to the needy. Another example I'll bring out is in Acts chapter 9. We have the account here of, of um, the, this lady Dorcas who um, she, it says she was full of good works and alms deeds which she did. She passed away and her friends were sad. And they called Peter and verse 39, then Peter arose and went with them, coming to, to comfort them. They were looking for comfort. Or, uh, and it says here, when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed. And turning him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. We'll stop reading there. And, um, but that is an example of where Peter came to show compassion. And it went much further um, than, than just simply grieving with the people and, and encouraging them. We, we have countless opportunities in the church to express our compassion, uh, maybe in financial struggles or spiritual struggles. Um, we don't have a lot of elderly, but the elderly can be encouraged. The sick, the grieving, um, going and, and visiting can be an encouragement to one another. Sometimes 
we may be unsure of how to express our compassion. I, I, I guess my thoughts go to um, when someone has passed away, we step into a, a viewing line and we come to the family and it's hard to know what to say sometimes. And depending on the situations, you might say something one time that you wouldn't say another time. So you can't really uh, just say, well, here's what you should say when you go through a viewing line and put it into a neat little box like that. But one thing we hear over and over again is just simply being there for the ones in need. And you know it may be um, the one facing the financial struggles or someone who's sick or someone facing spiritual struggles. We may not know exactly what to say to them at the moment, but just being there and, and supporting them, letting them know that we care is a means of encouragement. In Romans 12, 15, the last part of the verse says that we are to weep with them that weep. It's, it's not appropriate, um, let's say, in the, the occasion of a death to um, necessarily be there jolly and joyful uh, because there is a family that is experiencing grief. And we, in that way, weep with them that weep as we show our, our love and care for them. The first part of that verse, Romans 12, 15, says rejoice with them that do rejoice. And that brings us to the fourth gift of the brotherhood is rejoicing together. We already read from Acts chapter 2, 46 and 47, but we're just going to look at those verses again. It says, And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. That's one thing we enjoy doing. We enjoy rejoicing together. Grief, like we talked about, is not as easy to go through. Um, it, it pulls at different emotions. But, but rejoicing together, having a, a spirit of, you could say, a, a feeling of happiness. And it brings pleasure to us. The, the people here did eat their meat with gladness. Um, I just kind of get a picture a little bit of, of uh, maybe a fellowship meal and just conversing across the table and having a good time. But I just here this morning I have to ponder, what are the things we are rejoicing about? Are we uh, just simply having a good time together because we're feeling blessed, we're feeling happy, it's nice to be together? Or this morning, are we rejoicing in the spiritual gifts that God has given to us, the good things that we enjoy the gift of salvation, maybe rejoicing in a new conversion, someone who has come to Christ, rejoicing in a victory that maybe someone is experiencing in their lives. Are we rejoicing in the work that the Lord is doing through his people 
whether it's here or whether it's those who are going out to minister, what is our rejoicing that we are experiencing? It's easy to to get caught up in the daily things that we experience, which are real. You know, we're going to talk about the gardens and the um, projects that we're working on at, at work, um, things like that. We're, it's, we're human, and those are a real part of our lives. But is that all we get together to talk about? We um, read from the Bible a bit, talk about the Bible a bit, have a message, and then we uh, just go on and, and talk about our daily lives. And, uh, please don't get me wrong. We, we do. Uh, our, our daily lives are real to us. But may we be rejoicing in the Lord together as a brotherhood. The fifth gift that we experience as a brotherhood is being able to discuss the scriptures with one another. And I'm, I'm just going to bring that right in with what are we doing? Um, what are we discussing um, after church? Um, do, we, do we discuss the scriptures together just on a one-on-one -on -one or group, uh, small group basis? It won't take time to read this account, uh, but in Acts chapter 8, we have Philip again, who met this man of Ethiopia, and this man was looking into the scriptures. He was reading the scriptures, and Philip came up to him. He joined himself, got in the chariot, and began talking with this man, and this man um, didn't have a very complete understanding of the scriptures, but he was a man seeking. And Philip discussed the scriptures. He answered the questions that this man had. And we see the blessing that that was to the Ethiopian eunuch. And I, um, I trust that that man took a message back to his people took a gift back that he had experienced because a man was willing to stop and take time and discuss with him and bring him to a better understanding of, of salvation or to an understanding of salvation. Another example we find in Acts chapter 18, we have this man, Apollos. And Paul had been working with Aquila and Priscilla and it says here, we'll read these uh, verses, Acts 18, 24 to 28. It says, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. So we get kind of a, a picture of quite a man here, this Apollos. He was eloquent. He, he knew how to talk. And it says he was, he was fervent, teaching diligently, 
But he had an incomplete understanding. He only knew the baptism of John. Verse 26, And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. So we have a believing man here, a sincere man, and yet he didn't understand the work of Christ. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard this man speak, they understood that that something was missing here. And, you know, Aquila and Priscilla could have gone home, and they could have talked about this Apollos. And they could have talked about how he, he, he really didn't have a complete understanding, and he wasn't um, promoting the gospel as he should have. And, you know, maybe we should see if we can move him out of the synagogue and, and try to get some proper teaching here. But they didn't do that. They, what does it say here? They took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And I imagine that this could have been over time, that maybe Apollos, they, they pointed some things out, and Apollos probably had some questions, and, and together they, they um, worked with, with teaching him more perfectly the way of God. And what do we see then? We see Apollos going and being a real tremendous blessing in the work of sharing the gospel. And that's what brotherhood is, bringing each other closer to, to Christ and to our walk with Christ. As brothers and sisters, may we take time for each other in questions. Hear the questions of each other and, and discuss, be open to it. Or maybe explain something that's misunderstood. If, if I stand here as Apollos with um, needing some correction, I trust that you would come to me and explain the way more perfectly. I want to be open to that. Um, as, I, as I think of that, discussing the scriptures together, um, maybe that happens some in our small uh, accountability groups that we have. Or... Um, Maybe there's prayer partners who get together. Or in our after-church fellowship, just, um, just may it, the scriptures be a part of our life and, and where we have questions or maybe some insights, being willing to share. Okay, we're going to try to move on here quickly. The sixth gift of the brotherhood is suffering together. We rejoice together, we weep together um, when there's suffering. Um, it can happen together. In Acts chapter 16, 
uh, versus, well, I won't read quite all of it here, but we have the account of this damsel who had a spirit of divination and um, that spirit was cast out of her. And we have Paul and Silas here who were instrumental being used of God to cast out that spirit. And they got into trouble. They got into prison. It says, uh, we'll jump in here. Um, Verse 22, And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And we know the rest of the story, how they, they um, prayed and sang together that night at midnight, and there was the earthquake. But together they suffered in what they were experiencing. Today we don't suffer persecution in, in that kind of way, for sure. But there may be a day coming when we would experience persecution like that. And I believe that if we would be faithful through persecution, if we would face it someday, that we would need to be a brotherhood that stands together, that is here for each other, to strengthen each other, to go through it together Other areas we may suffer together, again, I think of financial hardship, where, um, where we, um, we could go back to compassion there, but where we um, experience that with the people, with one another, and where it may cause us to suffer some financially in helping another one. Um, just going through painful experiences, sometimes we can't fully feel with a person's painful experiences if we haven't been through something that they're experiencing. But being there for them and and caring for them, and again, we're running into compassion. Um, The seventh gift of the brotherhood I have here is praying for one another and together, praying together. In Acts chapter 12, we're not going to turn there, but we have the account of Peter in prison. And the believers were gathered together. They were praying. Okay, they knew the need there. They prayed together. And and then that was where Peter was brought out of prison by the angel, uh, miraculously. But the church was there. And I believe that there is power when we as a church pray together. Um, In Acts 16 here, we have, just reading verse 13, it says, And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside, where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. So there were people together there at maybe a certain place at the river that had gathered together together. Women who had gathered to pray together. And we may not 
practically be able to gather together every day to pray. But um, here again, uh, you know, I had mentioned about our small groups is one opportunity that we can take to pray together. Um, Wednesday evenings for prayer meeting, gathering together and praying together. It's a gift that we have and I hope we don't just simply see it as um, something to fill up an evening of the week, but that we recognize the power of prayer and the, the power of collective prayer. We can, just a few areas, praying together when uh, through sickness uh, can be an encouragement to, to someone. Uh, maybe they're in the hospital or something, and we go to visit them, we can pray with them. Um, praying for one another when we're experiencing um, testing or trials. When we're weary in life, maybe discouraged, um, it's a blessing to pray together. Or when we're facing uncertainties, maybe it's uncertainties about the future, or um, whether it's, yeah, we know what uncertainty is. I'm thinking of um, the future of, of our country, or, but it may be just on a personal level where someone shares and just uncertain about what's going to come about. And fear and joy and sorrow, just there's so many things we can pray together about. The, the final gift that I have here, and just please understand this is an incomplete list here, but another gift, number eight, is hospitality. So we read from Acts 16 for a, a couple of points here. And in Acts 16, 14, and 15, um, after the apostles came to, to the river where the women were praying, it says, And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Okay, She opened her home. She wanted to, to host them and to... Um, to bless them in that way. In Acts 18, we have Paul living with Aquila and Priscilla for a time. And I believe part of that had to do with their um, occupation. They were tent makers. Paul was a tent maker. But also because they were, they were brothers and sister in Christ. And they welcomed him there. And the last two verses in the book of Acts, Acts 28, 30, and 31, Paul was in Rome, it says, And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. So Paul had an open home there in, in Rome, received all that came in unto him. And I imagine that they felt welcomed. I don't think those people felt like they were being a trial and tribulation to Paul and that the sooner they leave, the better, uh, because Paul had other stuff to attend to. 
we we um, do well to to show hospitality, and I, I think of um, lunch invitations um, as being a blessing in that. Whether it's to to visitors showing hospitality or to people who uh, are regularly um, uh, together in church here, um, just making each other feel welcome in in our homes. Um, maybe it's something for an evening, inviting someone over, or for a night, or for an extended period of time. When, when my family moved to Alaska, we built a house, and um, we, we had four rooms, um, actually ended up being maybe three bedrooms in the basement, and a study that my dad had down there. But we lived there for a time, and then we moved up into the upstairs when that was ready. And one thing, um, for, for some time, I don't think our family used any of the basement bedrooms, but there were often people who would come through visiting. And my parents just had our home very open. Uh, people could stay for the night or for um, several nights or whatever. And um, my, my dad also, in recognizing that this could be a possibility, um, he, he did some things um, with uh, the restrooms, very unconventional restrooms in the basement that made it very practical to um, host uh, visitors and um, a fair amount of visitors as well. And I, I just I appreciate that example of hospitality that my parents showed. One thing I have noticed in our time, um, and, and traveling happens a fair amount, um, maybe just let me back up years ago, um, when we would get a wedding invitation or, you know, invitations to some other things, um, often it would say, for lodging, contact, and it would have a contact name, phone number there. But you know, we don't see that as much anymore. It might say lodging and list several hotels. I think we're missing something on the hospitality when we do that. It does make it busier to prepare for guests. And, you know, maybe we might need to uh, sleep on a cot or something so that our guests can have a nice bed. Or it, it, maybe some of the children need to double up in bedrooms so that there's room for the guests. But can we do that with joy and um, you know, make our visitors feel like they don't have to apologize for any discomforts that they brought to us? Um, I, I trust we can. And I trust that um, that people felt like when, when they leave our home from a visit or from staying overnight or whatever, that they feel like we valued that time and that we were no, they were no um, drudgery to have. As we look at brotherhood and, and expressing uh, 
brotherhood or, or living out brotherhood. Um, in many of these areas, we may be on the giving end sometime to the brotherhood. Sometimes we may be on the receiving end. But may, I don't know if I'm safe to say this, but I think even when we're on the receiving end, I think we're on the giving end as well. Um, when I am experiencing something where I need encouragement from you and, and you encourage me, that enriches our relationship and, and is a blessing in brotherhood. So I think in that way, we can um, always be on, on the giving end as we um, work together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And this morning, I just, I want to encourage us to see these gifts as gifts and um, as blessings that we can be a part of. And in all of this, remembering that we are here to help to move each other closer to Christ. May that be our ultimate goal. And not just simply um, so that life is a little bit nicer for us and we'll, we'll be a blessing here so that we can be blessed, but know that we can be a blessing to one another because we care about each other. We care about about moving each other closer in our walk with Christ and also because we want to move each other to be able to move others to Christ. This is an advancement of the kingdom of God. Okay, let's uh, bow our heads for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are so good to us. We thank you for the gift of salvation and that we can be brought into a relationship with you, that we have been brought to you through Christ and his willingness to go to the cross and for um, just his, his tremendous blessing as, as being our high priest in bringing us to you. Father, we thank you for the gift of your people and brotherhood. And we just pray that this morning we would see the tremendous gifts that we have in one another and that we would endeavor to move each other closer to you. Father, we pray that you would use our congregation here to, to bless and nurture within. But Lord, may we also as a congregation, work together for the advancements of your kingdom in the world around us. And Father, we just seek your guidance in that. And may your Holy Spirit direct us because we know that, that as we work for your kingdom, it must be guided through your spirit. And we just seek uh, that for our group here. Father, we commit the remainder of our time together into your hands. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.